From the capital city, I'm Kevin Allen. Clinton and Haida held a virtual Native Issues Congressional Candidate Forum Thursday. Candidates Emil Nadi, Laurel Foster, Mary Petola, and Tara Sweeney took part in the forum. Petola left the forum early due to a previous commitment. However, at the beginning of the hour-long meeting, she said she was fully supportive of Indigenous people and wants to see the landless tribes acquire more land. I am in support, strong support, of the landless tribes in Southeast. That's been an ongoing issue for too many generations, and I'm thankful that Don Young was a champion of making sure that the landless tribes um, were allocated the few acres and the total, you know, in the considering how big the Tongas is, we're really talking about not very many acres for the original people from those communities. Um, I um, also am in support of lands into trust. I would work with the Department of Interior to try to get the timeline from an average of three years down to a 12-month time frame. I think that's much more appropriate. Nadi says relationships in Washington make the difference. With only one representative, everything depends on your personal relationships, whether you can convince people that you have a worthwhile cause or not. So that that's it. And be building relationships to to and make the um, issues of Alaska known to others. Sweeney says she believes advocating for indigenous people is needed in Alaska's next member of Congress. As we look at the divisive nature that we see across our country and in our state, uh, we need to get back to effective leadership that brings people together. So advocating for our Indigenous people and the communities, if elected to Congress, is about advocating and educating uh, other members of Congress about our challenges in Alaska and why we are so unique. Uh, in addition to bringing in the leadership of our communities and uh, the leadership within the many layers of organizations that represent Alaska Native interests. And Foster said this of her views of working for the voters of Alaska and that the missing and murdered Indigenous peoples movement is one she holds dear. I'm running my campaign slogan, if you will, with people over politics. And I think that we really need to get back to a place within our political environment where we are focusing on the needs of the people, not the political agendas uh, that are being pushed uh, because of money or or things of that nature. Uh, And also looking at some unique issues that that Alaska does face. And one of those being the the Missing and Murdered Indigenous uh, People Initiative. I'll tell you, my, my brother is still a missing person. It'll be 20 years this year. That's an issue that uh, is close to my heart. There, the candidates made the remarks during the Clinton and Haida virtual Native Issues Congressional Candidate Forum. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the Office of the State Veterinarian has confirmed the detection of the highly pathogenic avian influenza virus H5N1 in the state. The strain has been found in a red fox and eagles from Unalaska. In the past month, the flu has been detected in red foxes in Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Ontario, in areas where the virus was also detected in wild birds. According to the state, it is not unexpected when the flu was detected in a red fox from Unalaska, where the virus was also detected in bald eagles. Most likely, foxes became infected from feeding on deceased birds. No cases of the H5N1 avian influenza strain have been identified in any other domestic or wild animals, but dogs and cats may be susceptible to it. 
Pet owners should prevent their pets from contact with dead wildlife, including birds. With the news of State Senate President Peter Machicki declining to run in 2022, Juno Senator Jesse Keel weighed in on his thoughts of working with the Senate President. Keel says he has worked with Machicki for quite a while. I first uh, started working with uh, with Peter Machicki back when I was a staffer, um, and then uh, got to work much more closely with him uh, as a as a legislator uh, representing Southeast, and. Um, you know, he, he's always been a hardworking guy. He's always been a thoughtful guy. Um, we've had the chance to, to really collaborate on some things, and we've crossed swords on some things we didn't see the same way. But you could always talk to him. He would always hear you out um, and, and do what he thought was right and best for Alaskans. If his decisions weren't about party. Keel added that Machiki having his family in Juneau during session was a grounding factor in his leadership. I really have enjoyed uh, working with Peter, except when he votes wrong. He's got a great family, um, and he always brought him to Juneau, which really helps the environment in the capital. Uh, when folks keep their spouses and their kids close, um, it, it helps keep them grounded. So he's overall been a good influence on the Senate. The makeup of the Alaska Senate could change drastically after the 2022 election. Keel says this is what makes a good leadership team, no matter who is elected. If you want to do a good job for Alaskans, you've got to listen at least as much as you talk, if not more. We have seen over the decades leadership teams in the Senate uh, who've just gathered the votes and rolled like a steamroller, pushed an agenda no matter uh, how it affected people. And we've seen leadership teams that, um, that listen, that collaborate, that think. And I will tell you that you get better public policy, uh, whether I love every outcome or not. You get better results for Alaskans. And Keel says both sides of the aisle working together on legislation is good for Alaska and Alaskans. Sometimes we do the best work when we do stuff that doesn't make good news because it's not a bloody fight. Uh, and and that's the that's the trick, right? If, if you want to be in leadership to promote your next run for higher office, um, you want to be in the news. Uh, and that, that usually leads to more fights uh, and less real work. Juno Senator Jesse Keel. The U.S. Coast Guard Cutter Liberty is being assigned to Valdez. The 110-foot Liberty has been homeported in Juno since it was commissioned in 1989. The vessel's duties include fisheries, law enforcement, and search and rescue missions. The Coast Guard held tours for the public to view the vessel. The ship's commanding officer, Lieutenant George Greendike, said the Liberty has always called Juno home. Uh, so Liberty was commissioned in 1989, and she was homeported here in Juneau uh, right away. And uh, it's actually not very typical for a 110 uh, patrol boat to have the same home port for all 33 years uh, of her life. Uh, a lot of them went through a midlife uh, overhaul, and they didn't exactly end up in those same home ports. Uh, Liberty uh, has always had Juno. Lieutenant Greendike said an 87-foot vessel will be replacing the Liberty. Uh, so the, uh, the model that the, the sector and district assets use is, uh, has been for the 110s for the past few decades. Um, and the, the 87 is a platform that we're uh, going to be deploying through the uh, interior areas of southeast Alaska. The newer, larger, fast response cutters are a lot more equipped to go offshore. Uh, we're going to be able to utilize those assets out there while the 87s come in and uh, better control the interior waterways. 
The vessel is being replaced by the vessel Reef Shark. The Liberty is scheduled to leave this afternoon. An unmanned aircraft owned and operated by the University of Alaska Fairbanks flew from the general aviation area of Fairbanks International Airport over the weekend, a feat they called historic in the effort to safely incorporate such aircraft into controlled airspace. The flight was the first civilian large drone operation from an international airport in Alaska. Taking off from the airport's general aviation runway, the Century Aircraft of the UAF Alaska Center for Unmanned Aircraft Systems Integration flew in a designated flight pattern used for departures, arrivals, and runway approach practice. The light gray Century with a wingspan of nearly 13 feet and weighing 280 pounds when empty landed safely and came to its intended stop at the taxiway. Unmanned Aircraft Systems Director Kathy Cahill saying after the flight. It was a great day, a good time was had by all. The aircraft safely took off, circled, uh, did some low flybys and landed successfully. Um, we're very, very excited about this and we are very, very grateful for all of the partners who helped make it happen. Uh, it takes a village to actually do something this groundbreaking and we are grateful for all of them. Cahill said that strong support from the university, the Alaska legislature, Governor Dunleavy, and Alaska's congressional delegation made the flight possible. She also said the Federal Aviation Administration's Beyond program was key to obtaining the permissions needed to fly this and future large drone missions for cargo delivery and other essential Alaska missions. Alaska state troopers have arrested a juvenile in connection with a pellet gun he allegedly brought to a school campus. On May 25th, at about 5.30 p.m., the Alaska state troopers were notified that a juvenile male had threatened another juvenile with a firearm on the grounds of Wood River Elementary School in Fairbanks. Troopers responded to the school and located both juveniles in the area. Troopers determined that the firearm was actually an airsoft-style pellet gun that resembled a functioning firearm. It was determined that the suspect juvenile threatened the second juvenile by pointing the pellet gun at him. However, no pellets were actually fired from the weapon and neither party was injured. In a dispatch, troopers said they do not believe that either juvenile was a student at Wood River Elementary during the 21-22 school year. No classes were in session at the time of the incident and there is no known connection to the school. The juvenile suspect was arrested by troopers and turned over to the Division of Juvenile Justice. Juneau School Superintendent Dr. Bridget Weiss addressed safety in the Juneau School District while a guest on Action Line. This follows the shooting at a Texas elementary school where a gunman killed 19 children and two teachers. This is such a a traumatic event for all of us, even, uh, you know, if we're detached from, from the specific situation, it's, it is such a tragedy and, uh, it's definitely on all of our hearts and minds. Weiss said that after this event, police presence was increased. This week in light of what happened, we are increasing those walkthroughs and those patrols of our schools. Um, it is really, the work we do around safety in our schools is really critical. And we do our preparedness through uh, annual required trainings. All staff are required, all, like every single staff person in our district is required each year uh, to do a, a safety training, uh, what we call ALICE, which is a response effort that we again collaborate with uh, JPD. Uh, in 
and uh, we definitely work on building strong relationships. That's another preventative measure uh, that that we have in place. And uh, the best thing that we can do is make sure that kids, adults, everyone feels comfortable in saying something if they hear something or see something. Typically, police presence is heightened at the beginning and end of the school year, she said. The school had shifted to Alice emergency training in the district in the last few years. Weiss spoke to that. In in kind of the old days, we all remember doing uh, fire drills and lockdowns. And so uh, lockdown is what we used to, that we, it is sometimes appropriate still in safety situations, uh, but those were really the only two options. We evacuated or we locked down. And when you lock down, you go to a place, you turn off the lights, you lock the doors and you stay put. Um, and that is very appropriate in some situations. What Alice does is it adds other tools depending on the situation. Things like, um, atta- you know, literally doing something to divert or distract uh, a threat. Um, and a variety of things that really put people in a position of action versus sort of reacting. Juno School Superintendent Dr. Bridget Weiss. Three finalists have been selected by the Board of Directors for the Chief Executive Officer position at Bartlett Regional Hospital following a nationwide search earlier this spring. The announcement was made after a special meeting of the board on May 18th. The finalists are Emily Dilley, who is currently the CEO of Kearney County Hospital in Kansas, Matthew Hine, the current President and CEO of Delta Health in Colorado, Jeffrey Hudson Kuvalo, the current Vice President for Patient Care Services and Chief Nurse Executive of Sierra View Medical Center in California. A CEO recruitment committee made up of board members, city officials, and consultants was appointed by the board to interview candidates. Candidates were recruited and vetted by a healthcare interim executive leadership company. Finalists are scheduled to be in Juneau the first week of June to conduct their final interview. Never miss a story or a newscast at KINYradio.com. Now you're up to date. For News of the North, this is Kevin Allen.